Let's pray together. Once again, Father, we come before you. We come before you in asking for your spirit to bring life, to awaken us to what is true. God, we ask you to transform us, bear fruit in us. God, we are nothing without the spirit of God working in us. Open our eyes this morning to see your word. In the name of Jesus, we ask this. Amen. I'm going to test you, but not individually this morning. I'm going to test you as a group. So you have plenty of partners and plenty of phone of friends right around you. I have the, according to BARD, which is Google's latest uh, search engine and artificial intelligence, I have the longest running kingdoms that are currently around. Longest running nations, if you will, that are still alive today. I have the top five. Wondering if you can give me three of the top five. If so, you win. If not, I win. I'm going to give you five guesses. What are the top five longest running countries or kingdoms around still today? Anybody? England? Not on the list. That's one for me. China is on the list. One for you. Egypt is on the list. That is one for you. I'm coming over here. What? Greece is on the list. That is three. You win. Who was that? Was that Hillary? Greece is on the list. Any other guesses? India is on the list. And one that you're probably not going to get. Armenia. Iran, Egypt, Armenia, China, India. Iran would be Persia, which really relates to the book of Esther and what we studied, right? She was in the Persian kingdom. That same kingdom is Iran, Iran today. Keep that in mind, because longest running kingdoms is going to be part of the theme that we have today in our study of Scripture. But I want to ask you last week, I touched on something very important and near to my heart last week. Very near to my heart. And that was the word providence. Providence. I know that Ambriel last Sunday night was able to regurgitate that definition. Can anyone else today tell me what God's providence is? And there's a lot of P's in the answer if you missed it. God providing for his people, for his purpose. Remember that one. That is a powerful word that needs to be in our vocabulary and it needs to be in our Christian mental Christian dictionary. God providence is God providing for his people, for his purpose. That means God cares for you and God is working all things together To provide for you because he has a greater purpose that he is enacting. That was last week. God provides for his people for his purpose. If you're reading along with us in our Bible study, in our Bible reading plan, if you're not, uh, I want to uh, encourage you that today you can start with us. If you would like to, we begin the New Testament today. 
If you haven't, if you've lost track, if you're way back in Deuteronomy or in Judges or in the Psalms somewhere, today's a great day to start Matthew or Mark, wherever it is today, I'm not sure. To start the New Testament with us, probably Mark. Start with us today. Uh, the reason I say that is because today's message is going to be um, a, a, a theme summary from Old Testament all the way up until the New Testament and then bleeds into the New Testament and, and sets you up for your reading that you'll have for the final three months of the year. You've got three months left, uh, the, the New Testament. And, and one of the things I thought of was I wanted to ask you, what were some themes that you remember reading from the Old Testament? What are some themes, some bigger themes, meaning... Some things that, that reoccurred throughout the Old Testament. Now we have a picture that we've shown every week. And, and I think this, is, uh, this will explain to you maybe one of the things for us. But it is creation, fall, redemption, kingdom. The message today is introducing that final theme of kingdom. God is a creator. Mankind fell. God is working redemption, but not aimless redemption. He's working redemption in order to enact and fulfill something. And that's what we're looking at today, the kingdom. This is the enactment, finally. This, we finally get to what it's all about. And we do that when Jesus arrives. And we're going to look at why that matters today. But before we get to Jesus arriving, we're going to go way back for a few minutes and, and set the table of the last nine months of what we've been reading. All right? So back in Genesis 1, I've already alluded to it this morning, uh, to the garden. God created mankind, and he created a man named Adam, and from her Eve, and you have a pair of people that God has created to, to do something. If you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you to open up to Genesis chapter 1. Words will also be behind me, but uh, get your own copy. It works great, too. You can highlight there. You can make notes. Genesis 1, 26-28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. That is the Trinitarian view of God. It is plural. Those Hebrew words are plural. Watch this, though. And let them have dominion. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God said, let them have what? God said, let them have dominion. What is dominion? That is authority. That is rule. That is reign. God created man and woman to have dominion in the physical world that he created. Do you know that? That's, that's why you're here. You're not here to just soak up the, the entertaining things around us. You are here to have dominion over those things. Now what does that mean? I'm glad you asked because we're going to get there. Notice that he speaks internally. He says, let us make man. In our image, he speaks internally. 
And he creates the image bearers or humanity as a, a proxy for his own rule. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with one of our senators died this week. Diane Feinstein from California died. And she was voting and doing many things by proxy because she was not in good health and couldn't be on the Senate floor. Proxy means that, that someone's doing something in your stead. Let's go down to verse 27 again. I'm sorry, verse 28. We'll start in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, here, listen, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. That's a dominion word. Subdue it. Control it. Tame it, if you will. And have what? Help me out. Have dominion over the other creation. Fish of the sea, birds of the heavens, every creeping thing, etc. God has created man to be his ruler on the earth. We are his proxy. We are, if you will, his hands and feet in the physical world. But as we looked at earlier, corruption comes in. And man begins to say, well, I'm going to follow my own authority rather than the authority invested into me. I'm going to do things my own way. And this is why we have such a terrible state. This is why when people are given authority in a job or over other people, they begin to do it in an ungodly way. Because the fall has affected us all. And this dominion and this rule and authority is a tainted and broken now authority oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes. This is why fathers can be abusive in their homes. This is why people took other human beings years ago and, and did things they shouldn't have done to them in a, an authoritative way. This is why people leave jobs because my boss is a jerk. That's why. But that doesn't mean that all of the authority that God has given is all bad. Because this is why fathers sacrifice for their children. This is why mothers tend to their husbands. This is why the church is functioning in a way that has authority for the good of the body of Christ. So not all authority is bad. It's just broken by those who are not. And I must say this. And we're going to talk through this. Through the entire message. Those who are not in the kingdom. In Genesis chapter what? The fall happened. Genesis chapter 3. The fall happens. And two kingdoms arise. One is the kingdom of God. And one is the kingdom of man. And what we're going to see is that the kingdom of man tends to begin to elevate itself. And the kingdom of God is, it seems to fall back in the distance a bit. But it's not lost. In fact, let me show you biblically why it's not 
lost. Even in the book of Exodus, when Moses, you remember the book of Exodus, there were ten plagues. You'll see them going on in our campus in just a few weeks. We're going to have the ten plagues here uh, for our fall outreach. We're going to let the kids navigate the ten plagues. But the ten plagues, God defeats and he drowns the Egyptian, the opposing army in the, in the water, in the Red Sea. Do you remember that? Right after that, what does Moses do? Moses writes a song. And he sings the song. And let me tell you the last, let me show you from Exodus chapter 15 verse 18. The last verse, the last phrase of Moses' song when the Lord dominates the kingdom that had arisen up against God's kingdom. The Egyptian kingdom tried to overthrow and and enslave God's people and the Lord arises and delivers them and drowns them all in the Red Sea and look how Moses sees it and understands it. He says this, the Lord will what? Reign forever and ever. I just saw Yahweh split the sea and all of my people walked through it and then it closed down on the kingdom of man. The kingdom of God is delivered and the kingdom of man is destroyed. The Lord will reign forever and ever. That's a good one. But it's it's certainly not the only one. Even within God's own people, the the kingdom of God, this, this theme of the Lord will reign forever and ever... We go back to the garden and and the temptation to to govern ourselves just gets so strong. And in 1 Samuel, the people as a whole say, I'm going to do my own thing. We want to do our own thing. And we read in chapter 8, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together, came to Samuel at Ramah, And said to him, Behold, you are old. Your sons do not walk in your way. Now may the Lord reign forever and ever. Is that what they said? It's not. If you were paying attention. They said, Now appoint for us a a king. A ruler. To judge us like we want to be like. Like who, church? Like all the other nations. Who are not the kingdom of God. But this thing displeased Samuel because he knew what they were doing. When they said give us a king to judge over us. To rule over us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told Samuel obey the voice of the people. And all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you Samuel. But they have rejected me. From being the king. The ruler reigning over them. Israel rejects. They are invited. They are, they are given the word of God through Moses, through the Torah, through all of the ways in which God's word has been communicated to them. And in their garden moment, they say, give me the fruit. Let's be like everybody else. They seem to be something that we want to be. Let me stop for a moment right there. Church family. 
I want you to know as we read through the Bible, we read it because it's given to us to teach us. That's what Paul told us in 1 Corinthians. He said even the stories of, of Exodus were for the benefit of those reading today. I want you to know that there are garden moments that you face regularly. I'm, I'm going to say every day you face garden moments. Am I going to do God's will? Or am I going to do something that would defy what God has given to me and do my own thing? And I'm not talking like, am I going to choose orange juice over chocolate milk? Chocolate milk's the obvious choice. I'm talking about, am I going to do what I know that God has commanded and willed for me to do? Or am I going to deny that and do what maybe feels good or may be helpful in the moment? There are garden moments that you and I face. Israel faced them. How do you respond in those? How about the, the kings that they, they got? Okay. Hey, Samuel, give us a king. And who did he give him? Help me out, somebody. Saul. How'd that work out? You've got God, Yahweh, who has revealed himself, and you've got Saul. How'd that work out for him? Not, not so good. Saul, the, the kingdom was stricken, stripped from Saul. He disobeyed God clearly. And the next king was who? It was David. Yeah, how'd David do? Well, if you like people who kill their own men to have inappropriate relationships, he did great. Right? I'm not saying everything these men did were wrong, but they did not rule as God the true king would rule. How about Solomon? Solomon. He's next. I should have asked you. How'd Solomon do? Man, big old temple. It's beautiful. Gold was, was like silver in there. They had all kind of stuff, right? Y'all remember Solomon, right? He enslaved his own people to build that temple. Solomon killed, had more blood on his hands. I mean, he, he, he probably couldn't be sitting next to you without you going, man, this guy, I don't know that I want to be next to this guy. He might just kill me. Solomon had some serious problems. It didn't work out so well. The kingdom of God is in the hands of man is not doing so well. But, y'all, look, how about, you know, we live in the land of the free and the home of the brave, don't we? How many of y'all are proud to be an American? Anybody? I'm thankful for the men and women who have served our country to give us the freedom. Thank you, Steve. And others? I'm missing somebody. But look at our rulers. Man, I don't have to tell you. Y'all see it every day. Most of it, in fact, you don't see. When people rule over others... There are problems, serious problems. And you don't go to a party to fix that. There's problems in all of them. What am I trying to say? Authority is good. God has given authority to bless and give freedom 
and allow people to flourish. Some of you are working very hard by creating and establishing and, and allowing authority in your home that is healthy to allow your, your children or each of you as a husband and wife or even your parents who may be caring for to flourish because of authority. This church is good because of authority that God has given for us. We live in a country that has many good things about our government and our kingdom. But it's broken. The good news is the Bible brings us to a place that says one day, one day, there's coming a time when it won't be broken. And let me read to you the second psalm. And then we're going to jump forward to the New Testament psalm as quickly as we can. The second psalm is an authoritative psalm of God. It is a kingly psalm. And, and I'm, I'm giving you all a lot of background. Are you all still with me? Are you all with me? I'm giving you a lot of background because the beauty of this is when we get to today's reading. Psalm 2 is, is as important as any psalm there is. Why do the nations rage? Why is the rebellion among all the people? And they plot pointlessly. The kings, the authorities of the earth, set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and His anointed. Here it is. Kingdom of the world versus kingdom of God. It's, it's right here. Y'all see it? It's right here. Kingdom of world, kingdom of God. Watch this. And they say, verse 3, let us burst their bonds. Let us break away the chains they have on us. Let's be free. Freedom. Verse 4. The heavenly perspective. God says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. He chuckles. Huh. Freedom, he said. Freedom. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and he will terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have my king. I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me. And then he speaks of the father and the son talking. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me. I'll make all the nations, all of the humans, all of the worms, all of the tigers and donkeys. All of it will be your heritage. And to the ends of the earth, they will be your possession. My son, it's all yours. You shall break them. You shall rule over them. With a rod of iron and dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Kingdoms of the world. Kings, you be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. You must serve. You better. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoicing and trembling. You better. Kiss the son, my son, lest he be angry with you. And you will perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. I would be remiss this morning if I didn't share this with you. We are not in David's day 3,500 years ago. 
We are today. Why does this psalm even matter? Why are we reading something from 3,500 years ago and think it matters? And why are y'all sitting there allowing me to do that? The reason is this. Because the invitation to kiss the sun is as real today as it was 3,500 years ago. If you do not embrace the Lord Jesus Christ, He will return in His wrath. And He will judge you for your sin. And as we looked at at the Lord's table this morning, if you are not covered by the blood of Jesus, if His broken body did not pay for your sin, He will speak to you in His wrath. You will perish in your way, and His wrath is quickly kindled against you. Young, old, or in between. Fly to Jesus. Run to Jesus as quickly as possible. He is your refuge. He is your strength. And as the psalm ends, blessed are all who take refuge in Him. If you are here today and have not taken refuge in Him, fly to Jesus. We read yesterday from Malachi. We read yesterday from Malachi, and it says this. At the very last paragraph of the Old Testament, this is what it says. Y'all ready? Yeah, anybody know? What does the last paragraph of the Old Testament say? He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Get ready. You know how many years it took? got it. 400 years. But the last chapter of Malachi, the last paragraph says he's coming. And look how he says, behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. He's coming. And I'm going to send Elijah before him and he will do what? Y'all see it? Verse six. He will do what? He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to the fathers. Remember that authority stuff in the family we talked about? He's going to write this authority because he's coming. And he knows how to make it right. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Stop. Period. End of sentence. 400 years of silence. Malachi says he's coming. And you know what I say to you guys today? He came. He came. He came. We got, we got thousands of words from eyewitnesses. He came. He came and he, he set right authority. He came. And you know what he said? You know the first thing Jesus said, the first recorded words that we have of Jesus, what are they? You should know this. If you know your Bible, you should know this. What are the first words that Jesus said in the Bible recorded? Mark 1.15. I'll start in verse 14. Now after Jesus was arrested, I'm sorry, now after John, the whole first part of Mark is talking about John, that Elijah figure. Uh, Mark says, oh yeah, I know where it left off. Let me tell you, 
John the Baptist came and he did the stuff that Elijah was to do. That's the first 11 chapter verses of Mark. And then he comes right here next and says, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee and he proclaimed the gospel, the good news of God. And what were his first words? Read them to me, church. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. You know what he told you? You know what he told the people around him? You know what we have recorded? The kingdom is here. The time is now. The kingdom's here. Repent. Get right with God. Repent. Get right. Now that is the first thing that Jesus said. The time is now. Kingdom's here. Repent. Have you repeated those words to anybody lately? Like, don't you think that maybe what Jesus told us was most important when he began his public ministry would be the time is now. The kingdom is here. Repent and get right with God. Man, that's a, easy to share with folks, but shouldn't it be, right? That was Jesus' message for us. If you ask anybody in the kingdom of this world, non-Christian folks, people who kind of have an understanding of what Christianity is, but don't have an understanding like you do probably. And you say, tell me about Jesus. I can ask my neighbor. He's a Muslim. I've asked him. I said, tell me about Jesus. What do you think about Jesus? You know what he tells me? Y'all, probably, y'all know. What is he going to tell me? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was a, a prophet. He was a good guy, Jesus. Yeah, I like Jesus. Others might say, yeah, he was, a, he was a moral teacher. Yeah, oh yeah, he had lots of good teachings. He taught you to love each other and be nice. Yeah, Jesus, I know that guy. That's what they're going to tell you. But Jesus' priority wasn't being nice. I mean, just read the New Testament. As you see, you're going to see it. He wasn't about being nice. In fact, Jesus wasn't his priority. Wasn't merely just telling us what right and wrong is, morality. You know, he did that, and I, he did those things. But his priority was was right here, and and throughout the New Testament, I want you to look. And every time, if you're reading and you and you read, underline it when you see kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. You're going to see it at least 50 times in the book of Matthew alone. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. Because he knew that that there were two kingdoms and you were in one or the other. Kingdom of God, kingdom of this world. And and look, I I couldn't even give justice to what the Old Testament does. How oftentimes the kingdom of this world, Babylon, tries to overtake the kingdom of God. It's all over the place. Tower of Babel. You just read it. It's everywhere. But Jesus says and says, look, now the king's in the house. The king is here. I am here now. This is what it's about. It's about the relationship. And, and so he preaches. Let me give you one example. Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. Have you all heard of the Beatitudes? Blessed are the poor. You see them on billboards around town. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the gentle, blessed are the meek, blessed are the, those who suffer for righteousness. Do you know the first and last one? 
Have you made a connection here? The first and last one are, I have a tie together. And you know what it is? Let me read them to you. Let's see if you can figure it out. The first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. All right? Now we look at the last beatitude, Matthew 5.10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is... Oh, well, how about that? There he is again, talking about the kingdom. Look at Matthew 4.23. He went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of what? The kingdom. Proclaiming the gospel of what? The good news that God's kingdom is here because the king is now here and it is alive in a new way. It's, it's no longer in a, understood in a Jewish sense. It's understood in a Christian sense, in a Christ-centered sense. And this is what Jesus did. And, and look what Jesus says when he comes and he says, and you know what I'm doing in my kingdom? You know, what, you know what I'm doing in the kingdom? I'm not just announcing it. I'm doing something. The kingdom is not just a, a, a far-off idea. It is ruling and reigning, and, and we define that. In fact, we've done that before as a church. If I ask you, I hope you can answer this. What is the kingdom of God? God's ruling and reigning in the hearts of his people. If you haven't memorized that, please do so. I'll say it again. What is the kingdom of God? God ruling and reigning in the hearts of his people. The kingdom is about action. It's not just a far off idea. It's about God's current, past and future ruling in his people. That's why when Mary goes and is mothering her children, she's doing it by the spirit of God and doing it in a fruit of the spirit way. Not in her flesh that does it on her own. So drop back down here for, for a bit of application for you. Yeah. I'm giving you a massive principle, and I want to give you this application. When Jesus comes and says the kingdom is at hand, and then he goes through Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and says, don't lust. Because that's like doing the act itself. Don't be angry, because that's like doing the act itself. When he says, love your neighbor, love your enemies, do not persecute them, pray for them. When he gives us all of these moral teachings, the point is not morality. It's that this is what the kingdom does in you. So if you are part of the kingdom of God, if you have entered into the kingdom of God, like Eli read to us earlier. If you have entered by the spirit into the kingdom of God, this is how you live under the kingdom ethic. Does that make sense? Y'all understand that? Is that clear? When Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom, he said, my kingdom people are going to look different than the king people of this world people. And what's Jesus doing? I, I got distracted. Let me read to you. Watch this. This is in Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Right? Y'all dial in on this. This is such, so rich. There's so much to this. If a kingdom divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot 
will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. And then watch these, these powerful words that Jesus adds. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first, what? Binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. And you know what Jesus just told everybody? I'm a strong man. I'm coming into the house, the devil's house. And I'm, I'm about to wreak havoc up in here. I'm going to bind him up and I'm going to take his people. And that's what Jesus does the rest of his kingdom ministry. As he says, Chase Daniels, you're mine. Come. And he, he says, Sylvia, Gidry, you're mine. Come. Strong man's bound now. And he's lifting the veil. And he's drawing people into the kingdom because he is the king. Do you have a king? Do you know the king? Have you bowed at the, the throne of the king? Christian, you've done that. Christian, you are at the throne of the king. He is ruling. He is reigning. And he has authority over this world. And, and he goes on to say in Mark chapter 4, like he does oftentimes, what can I compare the kingdom of God like? Like a leaven that's put in a lump and it grows and grows and grows and grows and grows because a strong man is now plundering the kingdom of this world. What can I compare it to? Like a mustard seed. You put it in the ground, it grows and grows and grows and grows and now it supports all the birds. This is the kingdom of God and you and I are part of it. What are we doing? Are we living and active by the Spirit of God? Or are we just kind of sitting and watching and hoping the pastor or the deacons do it? I hope not. You are the kingdom of God. What is it? It's God ruling and reigning in whom? In the hearts of His people. That's you, church. That's me, church. We are active and doing what God has called us to do. Jesus stood before Pilate. My kingdom's not of this worldly kingdom. You are his kingdom. You are his people. And he does it because Jesus fulfilled everything God had called him to do. Jesus was our second Adam. Jesus was the one who, who had victory over the temptation to defy God and live in his own kingdom. And Jesus said, no, let thy will be done. May your kingdom rule and reign in me. That's what Jesus did for us. All right, I've got two questions for you to close out today. One is this. What is the kingdom of God? Help me out. God ruling and reigning in the hearts of his people. Is he ruling and reigning in you is a question you need to answer. That I need to answer. And I'm not talking like once in a church pew. I'm talking about regularly. Is God ruling and reigning in me today? Is he ruling and reigning in me as a grandmother? Maybe. Is God ruling and reigning in me as a driver? Not screaming at people when they cut me off? Is God ruling and reigning in me as an employee or an employer? The way that I treat my employees or my boss? Is God ruling and reigning in me as a father in my home? 
Am I doing things God's way and sacrificing as Jesus did? Is God ruling and reigning in you? That's the kingdom of God. It is living, it is active, and it is in you. That's question one. Oh, I, I, let me write. I, I came up with this. I'm going to give this one to you. Like it or not. The kingdom of God is more about rule. R-U-L-E. It's more about rule than rules with an S on the end. Now take that one write it down. The kingdom of God is more focused on rule of God over you than rules that you must Boxes you must check. Remember that. And second, my second question for you. First one was, what is the kingdom of God? Second one is this. How do you enter? Because I've, I've alluded several times that if you are not in the kingdom of God, you are under, biblically, you are under the wrath of the king. And I, I hope and presume there are people here today who want to know, okay, I don't want to be under the wrath of Jesus. That's a bad dude. He can bind Satan. He can bind me. The wrath of Jesus is not something you want to be under. So how can you enter into the kingdom of God? I'm glad you asked. Eli read it this morning. John chapter 3. Because another man asked Jesus that exact question. Why would he ask that? Because Jesus was talking about the kingdom. And Nicodemus had no idea what that meant. So he comes and he says, verse 2, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher from God. No one can do these things unless you do them. Jesus cuts to the chase and says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot enter. He cannot be in the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Nicodemus said, oh, wait, what? <laughs> enter my mother's womb again? What? What are you talking about? And Jesus says, here's what I'm talking about. Verse 5, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, unless he is spiritually born, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so here's the question. Are you spiritually alive? Do the things of God excite you? Do you have a desire to love Jesus and be obedient to him? Are you convicted when you sin? Do you have a problem when, when God's name is being profaned? Does it bother you? Are you loving? Are you compassionate and kind? Do you confess to God when you, when you do things wrong? These are signs and evidence. The Spirit of God is in you, and you are indeed born again. Born of the Spirit. Not just born of the flesh, but born of the Spirit. Jesus spoke of the kingdom of God 2,000 years ago. I speak of the kingdom of God today because Jesus came... And he wants us to be those that proclaim these truths. So here's your final challenge, church. Take this message of the kingdom of God and do not let it end with Jesus. And do not let it end in this pulpit. You take it and you proclaim the time of God is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the gospel of good news. That's how Jesus did it. Mark 1.15, look it up for your reference. Let's go do what Jesus did and proclaim and call people by repentance into the kingdom of God. Somebody say amen. amen. Let's do it, church. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you have brought us together to study it. We thank you for the kingdom of God. May it live 
May you rule. May you reign in us. Father, take us out of this room and bring us to the kingdom of the world. And may we spread the kingdom of God to all we interact with, showing mercy, compassion, kindness, showing holiness, conviction, showing the name of Jesus on our lips. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus Christ died on the cross to save sinners like you and me. He bore our wrath. Will you worship him today? If you don't know him today, I want to give the opportunity. I'd love to talk with you. Just let me know. Uh, I'll meet with you anytime to talk about the Lord Jesus and what he may be doing. If you're feeling a drawing or a compelling to come and, and follow Jesus, please come talk with me. Please go read your Bible. Please pray. Jesus, what am I, what do I, I need to come to you. Respond to the calling he's putting in your life today. We stand and together, if you're able, we sing, I hear thy welcome voice. Let's respond. Let's praise the name of Jesus together. You respond how God leads you. I'll be down front to pray if you'd like to pray.